This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Happy Mother's Day. So glad you're with us this week for Calvary Online. How would you finish this sentence? My destiny is success, greatness, Maybe you're working on a particularly difficult project at work and you think, boy, my future state, my destiny might include failure. Maybe you're getting ready to graduate from college and your destiny includes a career. Or maybe it's high school graduation that's on the horizon for you and you're thinking about a a job. Maybe you're going into a gap year. Maybe you're going to join the military. Perhaps college is your near-term destiny. Maybe when you think about destiny, you think about a relationship that you feel may be destined someday to be married, or maybe you feel destined to be a parent. I bet many of us would say, my destiny is a mystery. I'm not really sure what's ahead for me. I couldn't tell you what's on the road uh, before me. If you're there and you feel like your destiny's a mystery, wouldn't it be helpful if someone told you what your future included? That's what the Apostle Paul did to a group of his friends, the Thessalonians, an early church that he planted, and it's the focus of the book that we're studying together, 1 Thessalonians. He told them what they were destined for. So if you have a Bible, will you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we'll begin in the second part of verse 3, where Paul says, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Destined for what? He goes on in verse four. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to, and here it is, suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Paul wanted his friends in Thessalonica to know that part of their destiny would include adversity. Not exactly the word we were hoping to fill in that blank, is it? But part of the reality of life as a Christian is that we will experience adversity. Now, not only adversity, but as followers of Christ, the Bible promises our destiny includes eternity. We'll be in heaven forever with Jesus because he's alive. Our destiny includes victory because Jesus has been victorious over sin and death and he's accomplished so much for us. Part of our destiny as Christians includes community because we're now a part of God's family because God loves us. I'm so thankful for all of these wonderful biblical realities, but I'm also thankful that the Bible is clear about the reality of adversity in the life of the Christian, because if we're unprepared for it, then when it happens, it's confusing. It can make us think that maybe there's something wrong with us or cause us to believe that God doesn't love us. Paul was concerned that the persecution, the affliction, the adversity his friends were facing would be detrimental to them. Let's look at verses one through five of chapter three. Paul says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. 
Twice in these verses and five times in chapter three, Paul mentions faith. That was his primary concern, that the adversity the Thessalonians faced would impact their faith. You know, today there are lots of different ways that we think about and talk about faith. People can be a part of a faith community. That might be a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. Faith is often defined today as just simply a set of religious beliefs. It's like knowledge, information about what people believe. And faith in our culture is kind of abstract. It's not really well defined. People might say things like, you know, you just need to keep the faith, or you got to have faith in yourself. But Paul defines faith differently than we do. Look at verse eight of chapter three with me. He says, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Paul's definition of faith isn't just a set of beliefs and it isn't abstract. In fact, faith, according to Paul, has an object. He says, if you are standing fast in the Lord, that's the object of faith, Jesus. So true faith is found in Jesus. That's because Jesus and Jesus alone makes faith possible. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says that people of Christian faith look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. True faith is found in Jesus because Jesus makes faith possible. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. True faith is found in Jesus. And when we have faith in Jesus, Paul says in verse eight that we can stand fast. It's like you're fixed, settled. You're not gonna be knocked down or knocked around by adversity because we can depend on Jesus. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is also the creator of all things. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's dependable. We can rely on him. And so if our destiny includes adversity, we need faith to give us stability, to stand firm and not be shaken. Jesus offers us that. I wonder how you would assess your faith. Would you describe it today as firm? Maybe you'd say, my faith feels a little fragile to me today. Maybe your faith is flourishing. Wherever you're at, if you're watching this with a group of friends or maybe your family, you might press pause for a moment and just discuss amongst yourselves. Where is my faith right now? Where do I stand? Is my faith firm or is it fragile? Or maybe faith is a new concept for you. Maybe faith in Jesus is something you've never considered before. You could put your faith in Jesus right now, wherever you are. Ask him to give you faith, to forgive you of your sin. And he promises that he will. Jesus said that faith is simple. The best kind of faith is the kind of faith that you see in a child, he said. You know, as we grow we become less and less dependent on our parents. That's a good thing. That's part of parenting and raising kids is that they would become independent. I've noticed this especially, a growing independence in my kids every summer when I take them to the pool. That's one of my favorite summertime activities and the pools are about to open. I can't wait. When they were really young, when they were babies and I would take them to the pool, I would have to hold them in my arms. I'd never let go of them. 
As they got a little bit bigger, maybe we would go into the baby pool and perhaps they could sit up right next to me, but they'd always be within arm's length. As they began to walk around just a little bit, maybe I'd let them walk, but I'd hold their hand while they're still in the baby pool. And soon enough, they were big enough and confident enough that they could walk around the baby pool on their own. And I might just sit on the side, but I'd always watch. I'd always check in on them. And they had a tendency, especially when they were young, to come check in with me. Even if they'd run to the other side of that little baby pool, they'd always come back and give me a hug or maybe try to sit in my lap or just see that I was still there because they were so dependent upon me. They knew that I was there for their safety and protection. As they got a little bigger, it'd be time to transition from the baby pool to the big pool. And once again, I'd have to be a little bit closer to them. They maybe weren't tall enough to touch in the shallow end. And so I'd hold them or we'd sit on the steps and uh, summer by summer, they'd grow a little bit bigger, become a little bit more independent. And it got to the point where they could swim on their own in the shallow end. I might still sit there with my feet in the water just in case they needed me. But soon enough, they were able to swim on their own without me. They could go into the deep end and I could move from the side of the pool to a chair and maybe check in on them every once in a while. I think this summer, I'll just be able to hang by the side of the pool in a lounge chair and read my book. My oldest two kids, McKenna and Cooper, are old enough to go to the pool by themselves. So summer by summer, they have become increasingly independent of me at the pool. This is the exact opposite of the Christian's life of faith. The more and more we get to know Jesus, the more and more we're called to depend on him. In fact, the Bible says that when we're born, we are separated from God. We're not even at the pool with Jesus. But when we place our faith in him, we begin to depend on him. I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, I sort of thought, you know what, Jesus, thanks for saving me. I'll take it from here. And you try to live independently, try to do it on your own. But that's not the picture of faith. Faith is a constant and active, continual depth of of growing closer and closer in your dependence upon Jesus. Some of the people I know who have followed Jesus for the longest amount of time, you know, people who are in their 70s or 80s who have known Jesus for decades, they depend on him in a way that is so encouraging to me. The older they get, the more they sense a need for Jesus in their life. And that's the picture of faith. Paul knows how important a life lived this way is. And he's such a good pastor. I, I admire him so much. He's not concerned with the number of people who attended last Sunday at his church, that it's more than the week before. He's, he doesn't write them to learn whether or not their church is larger than the church down the road. He isn't concerned that adversity might mean they could give less money to his ministry efforts. He isn't worried that if he tells them what they don't want to hear, they won't like them. But Paul always keeps the main thing, the main thing. He's concerned about their faith. And he says he wants, he needs to know how they're doing. Twice he says in our verses, he could bear it no longer. It's almost like he's saying, I just can't take it anymore. I need to know how you're doing. I love hearing updates from my friends who join us for Calvary Online. Just in the last few weeks, I've heard from so many of you. I've heard from Harvey and Mary Lou who are watching us and joining us from Lions. I've heard from Rupal and Rita and their family who watch every week from Longmont. We got a note just yesterday from folks who are joining us from Bangkok, Thailand. I got a note from June in Boulder. I heard from Pat in Denver. I got an email a couple of weeks ago from Mike in Brazil. You guys are all over the place. 
But the truth is, we don't know how all of you are doing. And I just can't take it anymore. We, we can't bear it any longer. We've been praying together recently as pastors and leaders about what the future of Calvary Online looks like. And we need to hear from you. We need to know if Calvary Online has been helpful for your faith and how you're doing. So I'd like to ask you as one of your pastors to do something that would really help us. We've put together a really short and simple survey which asks you how you watch Calvary Online, where you watch, who you watch it with, how you're doing, how we can help you. And it would mean so much to us and influence our decisions about what Calvary Online looks like in the future and how we can best minister going forward. If you would take five minutes and fill it out for us. You can just go to calvarybible.com slash survey. You can click on the link that's on your video. And you know what I would recommend you do? Just push pause on the video right now. And you can take the survey right now. I'm happy to wait for you. I promise I won't go anywhere. Thanks. Back to our text. You know, it's kind of unusual when you think about it that Paul knows that the destiny of the Thessalonians will include adversity And he doesn't tell them in his letter how to avoid it. He doesn't advise them how to ignore it. Instead, he sends someone to help them endure it. Check out verse two. Paul says, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. I want you to notice the titles that Paul uses to describe Timothy. He says, he is our brother and he is God's coworker. He doesn't say, I'm sending to you, Timothy, my assistant or my associate, my employee. He doesn't say, I commend to you, my minion, Timothy. No, he calls him his brother and God's coworker. That's an example of an empowered leader. You know, we don't know how old Timothy was when Paul wrote this letter, but here's what we do know. We know that the letter to the Thessalonians, the first one was probably the earliest letter that Paul wrote. And many estimate it was written somewhere around 50 AD. We also know that Paul wrote a personal letter to Timothy in about 65 AD. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul describes Timothy as young. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. So we don't know how old Timothy is when Paul writes, the letter to the Thessalonians and sends Timothy to check on them. But we know he's probably 15 years younger than he is when Paul describes him as young. So Timothy is a young, empowered leader. And look what Paul sends him to do. He says, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's coworker, to establish and exhort you in your faith. This is real pastoral ministry that Paul commissions Timothy to do in Thessalonica. He doesn't send him just to go get a report. Just go investigate and tell me what's going on. He says, I need you to lead them. I need you, Timothy, to be their pastor. Even though you might be young, even though you might be inexperienced, I need you to go and pastor these people to care for them. I love being a part of a church that's so committed to empowering leaders, to teach and to preach, to lead and to learn and leaders of all ages. At Calvary, we don't look for people who have a really impressive pedigree. We just look for where God's working and who God's hand is on and say, we want to empower you to lead, to go and help people, to care for them, to pastor them maybe. It includes people who volunteer for Calvary kids and people who minister to students, folks who lead in our community with our community partners, missionaries who go around the world. 
I love that this season of church for us over the last year has in, included empowering of home group leaders where we've said we need to gather as small churches in homes and we're empowering you, the church, to lead, to care for people, to love people. I was speaking with a friend of mine just last Sunday who was telling me about her Zoom Bible study group that she leads for a number of ladies from all over the place. And her job there is to establish them in their faith, to exhort them and encourage them to follow Jesus. That's what those words mean. Establish means to strengthen and build up. Paul, of course, had been the one who had initially preached the gospel to the church of the Thessalonians. And he was sending Timothy to establish them, to help them build up a strong foundation, to strengthen their faith, and also to exhort or encourage, to tell them they're doing a great job, to give them direction, to tell them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is important because faith is not static. Paul just didn't tell them what it meant to follow Jesus and then leave them behind. He needed someone else to go and help their faith to grow because faith is organic. It grows, it ebbs and flows, there's ups and downs. But we hope that throughout our life, our faith grows over time. Paul describes this in verses six through 10. Turn with me there. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if, we are, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul aims to be back with them. Even though he sent Timothy to encourage them and to establish them, Paul wants to be with them face to face to supply what is lacking in their faith because faith grows. And Paul recognized that there were parts of their faith that were lacking. None of us are perfect in our faith. None of us have mastered what it means to follow Jesus. We're all lacking something. And Paul knew that his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica needed a little help and that he could go to them. He also knew that they had questions about what the return of Jesus was going to be like. They had questions about believers who had died. And he answers some of those questions in the remainder of this letter. But he valued so much being with them face to face that he longed to return to them to help their faith grow. Now, because faith is organic, faith grows, but it also spreads. Look closely at verse six. Paul says, now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us. That word, good news, the good news of your faith. That's the only time in the New Testament that that word good news is used to describe something other than the gospel something other than the actual good news about Jesus and what he has accomplished. This good news is a report about a church. So in a sense, Timothy is evangelizing the Thessalonians to Paul. He's telling them their faith is strong. They're loving each other well. They are an example model church. You know, we evangelize many things. We evangelize products that we appreciate to friends. We might say, oh my gosh, I just got this new television at Costco. It's like 200 inches and it was $12. You should go get one. We evangelize restaurants. I had a great meal at a place. You should check it out. I just read a wonderful book. I'm sure you would enjoy it. 
We're so good at evangelizing things. I wonder how regularly we evangelize our church. Tell people the good news about how helpful it's been for us to be a part of Calvary Bible Church. How meaningful the ministry has been to us. How it's helped establish our faith. How it's been an encouragement to us. How the people who are a part of our church love us so well. That's such an easy way to invite people to church, to just tell them how much you appreciate it. Just like you tell them how much you appreciated that meal you had at a restaurant just a week ago. You might remind people that God loves them and that Calvary Bible Church is a place where they could learn about the love of God, where they could be learned or where they could be challenged to live out their faith, where they could grow as a follower of Jesus. You know, as you attend our church online right now, it's never been easier to invite someone to church, to share a video with them that you might say, this has been really helpful for me. I wonder if you'd like to watch this and talk with me about it. Or maybe you'd like to come over to my house sometime and we could watch church together. And we have these really helpful discussion questions that we could chat about and dialogue about faith. And I'd love to learn more about what your faith means. And I'd love to share a little bit more about my faith with you. It's so easy to just click a link and share it with a friend. I wonder how many of us could share a video from Calvary Online with a friend and evangelize our church to others to share the good news about Calvary Bible Church with another person. In the closing part of this verse, Paul says that he always remembers us kindly and he longs to see them as they long to see him too. I know many of you are home and hoping to return to church soon. I want you to know how we long to see you. If it's possible for you to return to a service with us in person, we'd love for you to do that. We'd love to answer questions or help you get connected at one of our campuses. If you're new to Calvary and the first experience you've had with us has been online, we long to see you in person, face to face, so we might help you grow in your faith. Friends, if our destiny includes adversity, then we need faith to give us stability. So if we can pray for you, if we can encourage you, if we can help you in any way, please let us know. We love you. God bless you. We hope to see you soon. Our Father in heaven, I pray for these dear friends who are joining us this morning. I pray for their faith. I pray they would be encouraged. I pray they would be established. I pray they would sense the love of God in their life. I pray God for any needs that might exist in their hearts, in their minds, I pray, Lord, that they would share them with us. Let us know how we can help them, how we can help them grow deeper in their faith and their love for Jesus. We give you thanks for your son, and we pray all of this in his powerful name. Amen.